0: Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Zoe John. Zoe has her own experience of an eating disorder and is now working as a BEAT ambassador to support others with eating disorders. Hello Zoe!
1: Hello hello. nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good today, yeah, really good thank you. Really looking forward to having a chat to you.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you just said nice to meet you because... I feel like this might be a bit weird, but I love your stories that you put on Instagram so much. I feel like I already know you. Like, I yeah. howl at your stories about your PhD. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: don't I don't hold back with the, with the realities of that.
0: I can't remember which one it was, but there was one you did the other day. I think it was, like, drilling or something, and you were, like, walking with your oh. camera, and it was just your facial expression as you were walking around. It was oh, very yeah. funny.
1: Yeah, people manage to find great times to do housework when I'm really trying <laughs> to get a lot of PhD work done at one specific time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. Um, but thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm really excited to chat to you because I actually uh you did a talk for Warwick Barbell, which was the oh. club that I was at, at uni before. Um, so I got to hear a bit of a story there, which was really cool. So I wondered to start with if you could maybe just wanted to explain your personal experience and we can talk about it as you go along
1: yeah yeah I'll give like the kind of timeline if you will is probably Mm -hmm. a good phrase um so I think for me the first eating disorder I had when I was about I was about 14 years old um and that was bulimia but I think that initial issue stemmed from like having just a very low self-esteem and I had that kind of low self-esteem and and kind of awareness around my body as kind of fatness, if, if that makes sense, from a very young age. And um, People, like parents and people in school, would make comments about me. And I remember being like seven years old and just wanting to be skinny. And just every birthday, I would like wish to be skinny. Like that was like the, the ultimate thing. And it, I just, and it, it just was part of my everyday life and I would think about it a lot um and I think that low self-esteem you know as most people do when they're a teenager that you know that they come of come out in, in different forms and people are getting in relationships and you know you don't have one um but I think I don't know why it started it just kind of did I remember being at home both my parents were working my sister was out and I just started eating and then I just kept eating and then you have, you know, those feelings of guilt. And I must have read somewhere how to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: it's not something you just kind of think of. So I'm not sure if it was, I don't know, in like Ms. Magazine or something really random like that. Well that takes me um, back. I know, right? Um and and then it just kind of kept going from there. Um and yeah, there was no decision, it just kind of happened and I that I think that lasted for maybe like six to eight months I can't quite remember um but it was just a really crappy time as, as they usually are but um I think my my mum might have had an idea actually that I I was making myself you know purge but we didn't really know what it was so we just that it just kind of was that if that made sense um so I didn't you know get any help or treatment for that I think I just kind of recovered on my own somehow um and then those kind of feelings of like low self-esteem really stuck with me still um and then the second eating disorder came when I was about 19 um and that was OSFED so uh, other specified feeding and eating disorder and that had more anorexic tendencies Um, but because I was overweight to begin with when I had the kind of peak of that eating disorder I was still like a normal weight and I was just really complimented, like heavily complimented for the first time in my life, which obviously like fuels the fire. Um, And we can go back, I guess, to these discussions in more detail as and when you want, but I don't know what caused it because I wanted to be uh, like mixed martial arts fighter. I wasn't very good, but I thought I'd have a go anyway. Um, And a lot of what was on my mind was weight categories. So even at my kind of normal weight, when I was suffering I was still too heavy to be in a weight category Um, but I was also in an abusive relationship at the time as well so it was very very isolating um at that time stress and stressed with union work as well so I kind of severed a lot of the ties I had with my family I didn't really have many friends I mean the friends that I did have lived kind of back home in Pembrokeshire and I just kind of became almost like a shell of of the person i used to be it was really isolating um and i know people a lot of people with eating disorders talk about christmas as being really stressful but for me it was kind of like a saving grace because i went home for like a week or two i wasn't like with the abusive boyfriend i just started to relax a bit more and um and just kind of you know spending time with family was really good for me and i started to kind of eat a few more things that I didn't and um there was a lot of excessive exercising during that period as well and I think um it helped being away from like a gym I could access and stuff so it was strangely quite good for me um but I think that lasted probably the duration of my relationship which was usually I think about a year and a half um, but I didn't get any help I just thought I was being a good athlete um, I thought you know, look at me, I'm, I'm finally losing weight. I'm finally doing all these things that all these magazines say we should do. And I'm starting to look like, you know, certain people. So that means I'm a good athlete. Nothing about technique, <laughs> just, you know, what I look like. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get any help for that. I didn't know anything was wrong, to be honest. Um, and then when I was about 20, I think, yeah, when I was about 20, um, I broke off, I broke up with that boyfriend And then bulimia kind of made its way again. And that was quite, that was much more severe isn't the right word because every instance is severe, but it was, it was amplified everything amplified how many times amplified, um, you know, it was amplified with also excessive exercising as well. So I'm not quite sure whether that would be us fed or just bulimia, to be honest, um, but I did, I did go to um, student services at the university for some kind of guidance. I realized that, okay, I was bulimic and this is a problem. Um and I can't remember if I was signposted to an eating disorder charity. I might have been. There was there was a lot going on in my head. Um, but I was also given a book about how eating too many potatoes might make you sad. Um and basically um basically saying it's the type of foods I was eating that might make me the way I was it was it was really odd I just remembered not yeah I I definitely didn't read the book I was like oh this sounds rubbish so no um so yeah how many years ago was that uh, about 10 years ago so it wasn't I guess it wasn't too long ago but yeah I definitely didn't feel like there was like specialist treatment which Mm -hmm. I guess you know they they can't in a way but uh, as I said I I can't remember if I was signposted or not but Mm -hmm. if I was I certainly didn't feel like I was deserving of any help otherwise if they did signpost me I would have but yeah I did I didn't feel like I deserved any help um I think with all the kind of issues from the relationship I didn't have any self-value at all Mm -hmm. um and in a way, I think I treated it as a form of self-harm um, and I, in ways, I wanted to do it um, because I wanted myself to feel that hurt because there were many things I, I, you know, didn't address. Um, but I did, I did um, go to the GP at some point during that time as well um, and I think I said something along the lines of, I think I have, I think I have bulimia. Um, I didn't really know how to express it because I didn't still know what it was. And he just kind of looked me up and down and he went, oh, I think you'll be all right. Um, <laughs> and it was really, really dismissive. Um, and so I obviously had problems going to GPs about <laughs> anything. Um, but yeah, it was every, every, I felt like every time I went to get help, It was just dismissive of my experiences and just, I didn't feel good enough from people who were meant to help me. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that um, kind of third eating disorder of bulimia lasted, that lasted like a year and a half. And I think that was, to be honest, that was the more difficult one to really put a stop to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it must've been about 22 23 when it, it I think it I never know whether I actually stopped being bulimic if that made sense but it's something developed into what I now realize was like binge eating disorder okay. um where instead of um you know purging I would just eat and eat and that was kind of triggered by an incident with the ex-partner and I think I must have been yeah, 23 24 an incident happened where I had to then let Police know. I had to let family know. I had to let the university know because I, I was really scared for my life. Just in at any hour of any day, I just I felt you know really vulnerable, and I felt like I was at risk. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to be bulimic again because it hurt my body too much. Um, so I think I developed an eating disorder then because I didn't want to put. So I just kept eating instead with kind of some excessive exercising too so it is I think it's really showing how difficult the kind of categorizing process is for some eating disorders because I don't know what I had most of the time I just know it wasn't great and I know it was hurting me um, and that, so that's kind of like the time scale. it kind of panned over about 10 years and it wasn't until I started talking about the ex-partner and kind of what I realized the relationship was like, because then after that incident, I got cancelling and that was quite kind of in-depth cancelling started to realize, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't abusive relationship. It wasn't my fault. I wasn't overreacting. And then that's how some of the, of the eating disorder experiences started to crop up as well. Cause they started the council I talked to, I think started to recognize, um, I don't know whether it was certain things I said or certain traits, but I think we managed to talk about, you know, my perception of self, my body, the value I have of myself, and then the eating disorder. So things started to kind of come through. And it was only at that point that I felt like things started to get better once I actually started talking. And then it did take a long time to realise that I, you know, did have value. And it sounds quite sad, but, you know, a lot of people... Don't think they do. Whether that's because of something that's triggering an eating disorder or an abusive relationship, or, or you know, just having kind of low kind of mental health experiences. But that that's the turning point um, for me. You know, in in that span of like ten years. So um, yeah, that's kind of the the brief the brief overview, I guess, <laughs> of um, those experiences.
0: Yeah, I mean, thank you for kind of being so honest and open about your experience. Um, I've got a lot that I kind of want to ask you about. So I was making notes throughout because I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know, I want to make sure. But I guess like the question that is sort of pointing out to me the most is kind of, it sounded like from what you were saying, maybe that the eating disorder it didn't begin because of the abusive relationship, but also or almost the behaviours sort of helped or not helped but maybe I don't know I wanted to kind of ask you how do you think the eating disorder tied in when you're kind of experiencing that abusive relationship was it something
1: that kind of helped or did it make it worse um well as in as in the abusive relationship made the eating disorder worse
0: you know how how did they kind of play in in together
1: yeah, I think that's a really good question because it was certainly a very, I think, messy experience. It, it, I think it both fed into each other because I remember, well, part of the problem was because, because he was also a fighter, you see. So he um, liked certain types of female fighters and I thought, well, right, I need to look like that for him to love me more. So that's kind of one element. And then the other element is when I was struggling... And I obviously won't go into details as it's quite triggering. But eating a certain thing of a really small amount, and and kind of panicking, and he would just kind of f and blind at me, and basically call me like you know stupid, horrible word, this that and the other, um, and it kept fueling that. Kind of negative experience i had around food but he would also comment on my thinness as i started to get kind of thinner and the only kind of good experiences i had from him were when he would comment about weight that i had lost really um so it kind of it fueled that and i mean you you don't obviously you know most of the time when you're in an abusive relationship you don't realize it's abusive so you kind of feed off the positive comments because you think, oh, this can you know, this is what a relationship's meant to be like. You you need to kind of please your partner, and if the only time your partner's giving you compliments about how much weight you lost, you're just gonna keep doing that. Well, that's you know, that's what I did. I thought, right, if I if I looked a certain way and then became more attractive, then we'll be happier. But you know, that's that's know not the case and it's that when i became that kind of shell of the person i am now and was before a lot of it was just fueling that desire to be desired and to kind of be in this kind of super ideal relationship um because i mean the other thing was there was a substantial age gap between him and i i mean i was i was 19 he was i think 31 which I mean, it doesn't sound that big as you as you get older, but the type of person he was, mm-hmm. there was arguably a reason why me, as a vulnerable nineteen-year-old with low mm-hmm. self-esteem, was a person he wanted to be with. Mm-hmm. If you if you get what I mean, so um, yeah, I think they both it, they kind of both fueled each other. I couldn't separate the eating disorder thoughts from that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it wasn't just. It wasn't triggered by a certain different stress in in work, for instance. It it kind of all tied in. It was all fueled by that kind of um, toxic perception of, of relationships and, and myself as well.
0: I want to ask the question in that it almost sounds like the abusive partner was almost like an eating disorder personified. Like hmm. the things that you've kind of explained, the comments and stuff, almost sounds like, what someone experiences from an eating disorder, but you actually had it in like a physical form.
1: Yeah. And that's so interesting. Cause as you mentioned it, it I mean, I I didn't have an eating disorder voice. You know, some people say mm. they had a certain voice, but I can imagine that is that is it, you know, embodied, you know, they they're saying that you're not good enough and they're showing you why you're not good enough. And and the other thing is then Argue. I'm not the. I'm not the only person to be in an abusive relationship and have an eating disorder. You know, but I can imagine for different people as well. They, these abusive people are showing you why you're not good enough, and you can make those comparisons with different people with different bodies. I'm awful. I can still. I am getting much better, um but comparing myself to other people and saying, "Oh, I'm much," you know. Sp- I'm not as smart as them, or I'm much bigger than than them. Blah 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 blah. Like the list is endless, but yeah, they they do, you know, these that kind of abusive relationship. It it is that voice, and it's an external voice. And because I was going through so much, I I couldn't really think for myself sometimes. So you look almost for what you think is a, an objective fact from other people. And it just solidifies those toxic perceptions, mm-hmm. especially I mean, I mean, you could say an eating disorder, you know, and, and and the voices you may or may not have and the behaviors. It's almost like, I don't know, a form of gaslighting too. Yeah. It's like it's you know, it's like, oh are you sure you want to do that? Oh no, you didn't do that, remember? You're silly, you're this, you're that, and and you know, it's it's hard to separate what is rational thought. From irrational when you've got someone literally telling you you're not good enough, um, and and that's the same if you're experiencing, I guess, an eating disorder yourself. Like it's it's a psychological illness that's still part of you, and you and you need to learn how to how to separate those voices and it, And it's so so difficult. But um, hmm.
0: I guess a question I have is. Um kind of related to that eating disorder voice because you're right a lot of people do kind of describe an eating disorder voice um and I personally I think the thing about that is when people talk about that concept is that you can never know what somebody else is describing when they talk about an eating disorder voice because you're not, you know, you're not in the head, you're not experiencing it mm. and to me it was very much like what you were just saying In I had a thought and it it was, it was, it was just a thought, it wasn't like an, a voice in my head but I was never able to separate it between the eating disorder or, or like Hannah's thoughts, kind of that's what I did through mm-hmm. recovery. So I guess if, if people are listening and they're like, oh yeah, I, you know, I've always heard about this even sort of voice and I've not experienced it. Like what, could you explain your
1: experience of how you had those thoughts? Yeah, I think, cause like you say, I, di- I didn't have like this actual voice being like in my head. It's, it was thoughts, but it was, it was just an overwhelming sense of panic or anger for me. So if I was trying to um, decide whether or not to eat something, my, my body would physically react. So I would start like having kind of heart palpitations and I would start panicking because part of me would, it depends like on which eating disorder I had, but part of me would be trying to fight not to start binging and you want to because the food also felt good. And it was, it was like that kind of, physical battle from something that's telling you to do something or not in your mind. Like you're trying to stop your hands from doing something and you're trying to stop your, your body from doing something. And it was, it's, it's so hard to describe in words as well, because I remember trying to kind of fight the need to go and exercise. And I remember, I remember, I remember pacing, pacing up and down a hallway in uni because I was like right if you go now you have time to do this and then that and da, 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 da. <laughs> and part of me was like well no because I want to work but it's kind of like the, the more powerful part of you mm. at points that that just wins sometimes and, and I think and I think that was it because I remember struggling with those sorts for some time like it wasn't necessarily just a, a thing that I kind of just gave in to with with no problem I remember wanting to not do things but it was it was like a compulsion um and that and that like addiction to do it I often because I, I used to smoke when I was younger and I often describe trying to quit and eating just sort of like trying to quit smoking <laughs> like just being really kind of irritable and it physically almost coming up you need to keep yourself and your hands kind of kind of busy um so yeah it was it's it's really it's really hard because it's hard to remember sometimes what it was like at the same time um but I hope I hope that kind of answered some of your question anyway um yeah yeah. no
0: I think um I think you've summed it up so well in that it is so hard to explain and you know Mm. it was a really challenging question to ask you and I think if somebody had said to me can you describe it then I I don't think I would have been able to put it into words either because it's I don't know it's just something kind of indescribable that power Mm. like you said that it has over you because you know if if somebody in the street a randomer let's say came up to you and said you should go do this You just be like sod off I'm not doing it but it's it's you don't really have that ability to say no I'm not going to do it um Mm. but one thing that you said which I wanted to pick up on was kind of the um the thoughts change depending on kind of the eating disorder and I just Mm. wanted to kind of ask you how how did those thoughts change or were there any similarities that kind of stayed throughout with those thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think with bulimia and binge eating, the thoughts were about, for me, the actual food itself. And I often would not kind of eat in the day. And all I would think about is what I'm gonna do, what food I'm gonna have, how I'm gonna get it, how much it might cost. And all I would think about is that, and then the the thoughts kind of came afterwards. Like, as in the thoughts about myself afterwards and how awful I felt about myself. Whereas I think with that kind of Osfeld, kind of anorexic tendency, you're still thinking about food all the time. But I feel like I had more kind of negative thoughts about myself as a person during that time as well. Um, As in, I think because I was in the abusive relationship at the time, I think his voice became my voice like the external became in kind of the, the internal voices so I think um there was like a lot more there's a lot more decision about why I shouldn't have something and trying to justify not having something because I was disgusting because I was stupid and and the kind of restrictions about my you know, what I would eat or why I would overtrain was based around, I think, me being stupid, me being pathetic, me being this, that, and the other. Whereas I think, um, I don't know, I think it felt a lot more central during that time, but I think that's more related to the, you know, the abusive relationship. Um, But yeah, I think with uh, bulimia and binge eating, you have a period where you're not thinking you're just doing Mm. you're just you're just eating and you're not thinking about anything else other than eating whereas I think where there were restrictive elements I had more time to think about you know those awful things about myself Mm. um whereas I think yeah with the maybe bulimia and binge eating that came kind of after at, at a certain point it's I think that's such an interesting question and I haven't I haven't been asked that before and I haven't really thought about it before either but Yeah I think there's something about when I was binging it was almost like a mindlessness and it was that moment where you're doing it when you're when you're binging it's almost like a like a peaceful element where for once you're not actually thinking about yourself or the food because you're just doing it. Mm. Um, Yeah I think that is a really interesting question.
0: Was that quite appealing that sort of period of you know not thinking do you think it, that is that something that drew you towards the binging or did you not get even kind of consider why you were doing it you just you just wanted to do it
1: I think because because there's so much stigma around kind of bigger bodies I, I always you know had that kind of low self-esteem and hated about myself and I wouldn't eat things even though I still kind of overweight I wouldn't eat certain things because I had low self-esteem so it was kind of like i'm finally getting to like eat the stuff i wanted you know it was it was kind of it was kind of that because i never allowed myself that kindness to just kind of have stuff you know every now and then it was it was suddenly like i'm eating this and it and it tastes good mm. <laughs> but it was obviously you know um you know part of a kind of broader kind of negative picture but um that's just my experience because i know other people who have had kind of binging um experiences whether that's binging disorder or bulimia it's people binge on like frozen bread for example like it's it's like i think i was probably quite selective because i would plan what to do and where to buy it on my way home from school or from work and it would be kind of i guess kind of nicer things but it's that it comes down to that kind of yeah compulsion I I, re- I try to relate it to something that people have seen and what I think of is No Face from um, Spirited Away by Studio Ghibli I'm not sure if anyone listening might be listening to that but like it's it's like this big kind of creature and it's got like a mask on and it comes into this kind of um, spa house and it just consumes and it just keeps consuming and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you feel like you've just got no control over it because you might have a plan one day to just binge on certain things and then it will just keep going and you need more and you need more and I think I definitely had that sense of it growing where binging once a day wasn't enough and then I wanted to do it twice and it's it's definitely an addiction that just like any other eating disorder. If it doesn't get seen too quickly or sorted quickly, it's just going to keep escalating. Um, but I think it's harder to feel like you deserve help when you just kind of say, oh, well, I just eat too much, I guess. <laughs> Which, you know, from our perspective, we kind of know it's an eating disorder, but for other people, it's kind of like, have you just tried not eating as much? <laughs> oh, I didn't think of that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's um yeah, I think it's it's a difficult thing to kind of explain in ways because it seems so irrational to so many people. It seems like uh, otherworldly, you know kind of thing. Um, but yeah,
0: but I think that's that's such an interesting thing I find about having conversations um, with people that have had eating disorders and then, you know, they've had years of therapy. Um, and and things don't necessarily make sense but there's more of a you know you had a I had bulimia then I had OSFED then I had bulimia then a binge eating disorder and it was laid out and you know almost feels like it makes sense but it doesn't make sense but yeah. I think you know when you're actually in that eating disorder and you know engaging in the behaviors literally nothing makes sense so then for me mm. to say to you like oh so you had binge eating disorder like why did you do that? Like it, I think that that's just that's just not a question that I could ever ask because you know it's not it's not oh I just did it because because of this and it made me feel this like they don't they don't make
1: sense that's the whole mm. point yeah yeah they don't and and you try to think about you try to think about the first time something happened mm-hmm. or the first time a thought happened and it's really hard to think about that especially when like if it's because it's triggered by I don't know low self-esteem or or stress I mean there's so many discussions nowadays around bodies and diets and every everything related to that where they're so tied in with eating disorder narratives you're like well where does it actually when did the first thought actually happen Mm. like yeah it's hard to kind of it is just hard to pinpoint and it's it's hard to kind of think why just something happened the first time like why yeah. the first time I decided to binge or why the first time I decided to not eat something like I don't I don't quite remember why and and you think you would because it's quite a substantial thing to happen you know binging and purging but um, yeah it just it just happened which yeah. is probably the more difficult reason sometimes for trying to get better because you're trying to pinpoint why yeah
0: I I'm definitely of the opinion I don't think you need to pinpoint why like my mum will always yeah. um if we ever have the conversation she'll always talk about when we were in the caravan and I I didn't have a French fancy and then kind of from then on that's when my eating sort of developed and I think mm. it helps her to sort of make sense of it um yeah because that was like the first obvious sign for her. But then, you know, for me, it had been years of kind of thinking about food and everything. I just hadn't actioned on it. And then with that one day mm-hmm. I decided to. So I think you're so right in that you you can't kind of pinpoint um why it happened. Um and I guess I wanted to ask you, and it, you know, this will probably be a similar answer in that who the hell knows. Um but do you have any idea why you sort of transferred from one type of eating disorder to another? Because, you know, obviously they are, the, the, the thing is food, but I think we can all agree that eating disorders aren't actually about food. They're just like a method of communicating mm-hmm. things. Actually the behaviors and sort of, you know, looking at the research, the characteristics that people may have that predispose them are quite different. So do you, Have you ever thought about that, kind of why the transfer happened?
1: Yeah, I think, well, the kind of being 14 and kind of being bulimic, I think was, I think that just kind of happened because I felt so rubbish about myself. I just wanted to eat whatever I wanted and then I I purged. But I think with the OSFED one, what happened was I was old enough to go and join a gym Hmm. and that's when... I was like oh I can make a difference and I can maybe lose weight and feel better about myself because I really had I had a lot of body issues I really didn't like how I looked um so that one was wanting to lose weight from the outset and then with joining the sport that got exacerbated and then with the abusive relationship as well so like I just wanted to be thin like that was kind of that was it I was like right I've had all these years of disliking myself so now I could finally do this thing to make me smaller so I think that's why for me that particular eating disorder developed then and then I think with um with the kind of kind of second experience of bulimia um I think that was a matter of I wanted to eat the stuff that made me feel good when I was upset because I had broken up with my boyfriend and although he was abusive he was a person that I could talk to and spend time with and I just felt really really alone and for me I was like right I can eat whatever I I, I want to eat and then get rid of it whether through purging and or kind of over exercising so I think it was that I wanted to feel a bit of goodness with the kind of the nice tasting food that I wouldn't eat otherwise. Um, and then with binge eating disorder, I I just didn't want to purge again. Um, it's it just a horrible, horrible feeling do, doing that. And I mean, I don't know if I have bad circulation now because of, you know, I just have bad circulation, but I remember my hands being really cold when I had kind of the OSFED and and when I was bulimic that kind of second time and my throat was hurting my teeth were like going really horrible and um and everything just physically hurt too much to want to do it again but I yeah then developed binge eating disorder and then I it was almost harder to get rid of those negative feelings then because I because I did gain weight as a result not everyone does but I did that just made made it all feel a lot worse and I think with the kind of counseling and realisations of the abusive relationship I, I almost feel like I was too tired to do anything else but eat a lot um So yeah, it was it was a mixture of not wanting to purge and probably not having enough energy because I think I just ate and cried (laughs) for kind of months on end. Which um, I mean, I laugh, I I do laugh about it in in a way, but it's it was so difficult, and I just yeah, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. But then because you gain weight and because you feel worse about yourself, you just binge more, and and it just kind of carries on. but um yeah so that that's why I think those eating disorders kind of vary in the ways that they did for me anyway
0: I think that there's quite a lot of research suggesting that kind of the transfer from one eating disorder to the other is is quite common mm. um how do you think we can kind of do treatment so that that doesn't happen because I think like I said before it's I'm of the opinion it's not about the food; it's the underlying emotion. So I guess if you're if you're not getting the support for why that's all coming up for you, mm. it, it you know, unfortunately, it makes sense that it's going to transfer to something else. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, and I I I hold that opinion as well. I mean i I didn't get any inpatient treatment because I wasn't you know. Ill- ill enough quote unquote um, but I also didn't re- I didn't, didn't realise what was happening but I've heard so many stories from like beaten bastards for instance who just say that they went into inpatient care as soon as they reached a certain number they were basically thrown back out and didn't actually receive therapy of, of any kind or not substantial amounts of therapy so then you just kind of develop that same eating disorder or you go into a different one or you develop a different action to deal with those thoughts which is all part and parcel of of the same thing and yeah I think well for me definitely if I started talking about things um you know earlier on I, I don't think I would have gone down the route that I did because I I had a lot of it for me stemmed from having that low such low self-esteem that I didn't really care what I was doing with my body for so long whereas if I had Um, therapy or counselling or maybe opened up to someone I I think that that would have changed it's it's because of what's going on in my mind not because of you know the the food itself but yeah I think um, it's so easy to I don't know start eating more but then excessively exercising and thinking that's healthy whereas you're still trapped you still if you if you are upset and scared by not doing something, that is not a good sign. And I thought for a while that I was fine. And I would leave, I don't know, um, it was a friend's birthday. I got overwhelmed trying to figure out what to eat. So I left and went to, to train at the gym. And I thought I was fine because I wasn't, you know, binging and purging. That, <laughs> like yeah. that's not that's not a good thing. And I think so many people still have that compulsion um to do certain things and if you are feeling scared or really angry when you can't do something it's something you should probably talk about you know um yeah
0: yeah and and that was something else I wanted to come on and talk to you about was um you meant you said earlier you know your relationship with exercise it was excessive but it was okay because quote-unquote you're a good athlete um Mm. And I think you're so right. I think it is seen, you know, I know that's my personal experiences. I went from having atypical anorexia to, you know, excessive exercise. And, and that was fine because, you know, I'm exercising, that's healthy right. and, you know, I'm doing yeah. this powerlifting and everyone thinks I'm strong and then a weight, a competition comes around and I've got to cut to a weight category and you think, well, I'm going for the one below. Cause it's an excuse. Um. Mm. So how did you find sort of the the weight categorised sports and kind of competing as an athlete if you were still kind of engaging in those behaviours?
1: Yeah, I think uh, unfortunately I, I never got to fight because I never got to a weight class. Um, because it was something silly I won't go into how much I weighed but I was not the weight category (laughs) it was it was kind of suggested I think it was like 58 kilos where I was definitely far away from that um and it was frustrating because one because there wasn't enough women in the sport to do it like that's kind of what, what the problem was so it was like it was that weight or nothing um and but that's why I kind of steered away from that sport like it was difficult anyway being like the only woman in in the club to be honest um but um yeah it was it was something I just kind of stood kind of stepped away from because I started getting involved then in kind of strength and conditioning, kind of powerlifting kind of base stuff. I only did like a the local gym competition, but um my friend um kind of showed me kind of what to do. I went into a completely different area of the gym and there were weight categories, but at least there were weight categories that I could enter without losing weight. Mm-hmm. Um so so it was kind of nice knowing that if I go into this, I could literally just exist and lift and not actually cut and and just kind of go do do a competition and I started kind of getting a bit more confidence because I could lift a lot of weight and rather than kind of my weight being like a bad thing it was it was a powerful thing because I could move and I had newbie gains as well so I was just deadlifting (laughs) like 130 for reps without a belt on I can't even do that now I don't know how I managed (laughs) um yeah I had amazing newbie gains um and I just yeah started feeling really good about that um but yeah I think even even I think the thought of weight category it it can still be kind of problem problematic but it's about having a good support network and it's about having I don't know if you train as a team or if you have a good coach and being able to talk that through um I mean I don't compete in powerlifting now um but I might do actually I think I saw on your Instagram the
0: other day you said shall I go (laughs) for it
1: yeah I think I think I'll I'll do that um um, too many sports though but it's fun um (laughs) But um, I'm lucky because my boyfriend is my coach and he's he's a strength and conditioning coach and a um, kind of GB equipped powerlifter as well. So I know I've got someone with a rational approach to things to talk things over and I think that also makes a difference it's about having a supportive coach and a supportive kind of training network as, as an athlete in, in any sport you know you you have good coaches you have bad coaches and some will tell you to do silly things and others will be like no don't do that just train and perform in the category you're in unless you're going for a record in that weight category do you know what I mean um so yeah I think that's kind of my experiences around around those weight categories but I think um my approach to them is definitely more rational now it, it's 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 not a matter of I want to be in a lower one because that makes me a better person um whereas before that was very much that was very much the idea is the lower weight like if I get into that weight category that means suddenly I'm a good athlete mm-hmm even though I probably could have spent more time learning Brazilian (laughs) jiu-jitsu but no I thought it was all about the weights would Mm. make me you know that that um better fighter but uh definitely not the case
0: (laughs) I think it's really interesting what you said about there. I can't remember specifically what you said but it was basically how your identity tied into kind of you know whatever weight category you were going to be in and Mm. I can resonate with that so much in that I did my first competition in a particular weight category and then you know as you as I got better at powerlifting I put on weight but mm. and also I was probably still going through recovery at that point so I was gaining weight yeah. but because I'd gone to a competition as a certain weight category I thought I cannot go to another weight uh, another competition as a higher weight like people would yeah. i an awful human being yeah. literally nobody knew who I was <laughs> it was all yeah. it was all me um yeah so I think it it's crazy how you know it it just kind of warp into a personality and then mm. I just I mean you know this probably doesn't sound great to say but hats off to it because it persists it finds a way of kind of um what's the word camouflaging itself in whatever mm. you do if you've not got yeah.
1: the grasp of it it is mm. persistent it is, and you know what? I I think of myself. I, I I am recovered now, but for me, I still do have thoughts if I'm experiencing like a really difficult time, and <laughs> it sounds really stupid as I say it, but I still have issues of being a perfectionist, right? Which a lot of people do, and in a in a American football game, for instance, if I miss a tackle, a single a tackle. I think I'm the worst human being ever. And I didn't make the tackle because I was fat. I didn't make the tackle because I was stupid. And and it takes me a few days to calm down after a game. Because those voices are literally are literally there. And I'm like, think about it, Zoe John. You were at their body. You just missed the tackle. So you're not slow at all. You just didn't have technique and you didn't have your footing right. But my head just goes, you're stupid and you're fat and like if i can't get out of that i know i'm going to have like a few a few bad days like but it's it's so strange how it can be it can be years from doing something and it will be there like just kind of creeping up out of nowhere and it's and it's so frustrating because i know a few days after i'm like oh that's so silly and irrational and my poor boy my poor boyfriend after a game if i don't feel great he's like okay <laughs> let's prepare for the same conversation after every single game and um it's so funny because I, I tell her that I wish I could take on the advice I tell I say literally to any other player where I'm like if no one made the mistakes the NFL would be really boring <laughs> like but they arguably, you know, make make money off people's, you know, outsmarting and, and, and kind of silly things, right? Like silly footing mistakes or, or missing a tackle. But if it comes to me, I'm like, if I don't make every single tackle on every single play, that means I'm a bad player. And, it, and it's and it's not. It's right. it's just a way, a different way of those old voices coming back in. And and it's interesting because I know I still have um Almost kind of emo- like associations to the eating disorder voice with my ex boyfriend. Um, so it's interesting then when those thoughts come through, I will automatically think back to kind of being nineteen. I think that's what those voices are. It's mm. it's that not feeling good enough, and it's so fascinating how something is so tied to those eating disorder experiences as well. Like for, for me as an individual, anyway. Um, but yeah, I think after, after a day, I do, I do kind of get that kind of, um, I get my voice back as opposed to kind of the inner, um, kind of voice. Um, but that's, I think that's the difference is being able to know, even when you're thinking those irrational thoughts, knowing that they're irrational and just kind of, it's just kind of wading out that, um, kind of those thoughts that are going through your head. It's just kind of, just kind of getting through the day, and I think that's the difference. Where before, you know, if you're experiencing an eating disorder or are about to, you give in to those voices and you believe them. And I think that's something that I've I've learnt to, um, well, I've I've had to learn to um, kind of overcome. It. It's that knowing that that's going to pass, and it's it's not real. It's not it's not true, even though you. Might think it is uh, for some time. Uh,
0: um. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so glad you said about the fact that you still have, you know, thoughts that are uncomfortable and stuff like that. Because I think often people think recovery is never having a negative thought again, Um, Mm -hmm. which you know it might not be that it's food related, and sometimes you might have a food related thought. But I think it's unrealistic to think that anybody in the world never has. A negative kind of thought about themselves and I remember um a therapist once said to me that the best thing to do when I like to see it as like me sat in a living room it's a very beige living room this this brain of mine and the, this like it, mine's kind of a mask thing like you said earlier it's a white mask they come in and um I don't say hello to them, but I just give them a cup of tea and put, sit them on the sofa and they're allowed to sit there, but they're not allowed to Mm -hmm. do anything. And I don't acknowledge Mm -hmm. them. They just drink the cup of tea and then they go. And it sounds so silly, but kind of just having that visualization for me really helps me think like sometimes it's going to come and that's okay. But like you said, you, you don't need to act on it. You don't need to interact with it. Just, just let it sit there for a bit and you know, it will leave at some point.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really nice kind of visual way of thinking about it. Because I, I still, um, I probably should get professional help. Um, but I you know I, I still haven't had probably the kind of forms of therapy that I needed. So I find myself still finding kind of good ways of managing, you know, thoughts when they come about. And I think that visual kind of thought to kind of embody those thoughts. In different ways is really helpful, and and that's the thing. Like some people may never have thoughts, but I know I will, and it's just acknowledging that it's. I don't necessarily know if saying it's part of you is is a thing because it's not there all the time. It's just something that does come, and it does go, and it's just, it's just knowing that and knowing that it will it will get better if you just kind of, don't give in to. those voices um yeah yeah
0: just a another thing that um has come into my mind to ask you so you said about the fact that you haven't maybe had the therapy that kind of you needed how did you kind of step away from the binge eating disorder to to get to where you are now
1: yeah I think I think that was the the longest kind of mental recovery because well it was the only mental recovery I had because that's when I talked about everything so I think it took it took over a year I think of like coming to terms with things and I think slowly starting to get my head and habits in a more kind of healthy dynamic and I think part of that was just trying to do little changes and trying to get things more regimented for me, um, I think helped. So being like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to have this at this time, this at that time, and planning it so it doesn't feel overwhelming because I probably, I was probably, yeah, I think I was starting my master's and I was working and so it was it was hard to kind of plan things. But I think as I started talking to people about things I do think I also used kind of distraction um as as a um as a thing and I do think that's something that I've only really stopped doing in the last few years because in that time I think from when I was 24 I then I lost like three grandparents within the space of a year I lost a friend to suicide and it was like from that point I think it it I just needed to keep myself busy Mm. and it was I think it's so hard to know because it was so messy after like that binge eating disorder and I don't know what happened in those kind of four years until I was like 28 because in that time I nearly relapsed quite significantly into what would have been I imagine kind of atypical anorexia um because I just I don't even know actually if I I might have had it like because I I was so distraught I could not do anything and what I the reason why I think I kept going was because I I wanted to play, carry on playing American football because I kind of found American football and I found my teams and I thought, right, well, if you're malnourished or if you're not in the world, then you can't play and your team can't play because they don't have the numbers to play. Um, So it was like a weird way of looking at it. Um, But yeah, it's really hard with that one because I think so much kind of bad stuff happened, but I would just try and like, I would have like this emergency kind of self-care kit by the side of my bed and it would just be like protein bars and stuff with like really high calories that were quite small so like I could kind of make myself kind of eat stuff. Um, I know this is definitely probably not answering your initial question but I I forgot (laughs) in a way I forgot all of that stuff happened too Um, but it's I think it was a mixture of allowing myself to have nice things that I would usually restrict Um, but yeah I also imagine kind of keeping things busy but I think even though bad stuff happened in those years I think talking to people also helped me manage my own emotions and feelings around around food because people would be like oh that really resonates with me I went through the same thing and I think I don't know I started to heal through helping other people or kind of putting my voice out there it's it is a really strange strange thing to have an answer for I think because I don't think I really know I think things just happened yeah uh, week by week or or month by month and somehow I've managed to kind of have a much better relationship with food but um yeah (laughs) I don't really know
0: (laughs) well whatever whatever (laughs) happened I'm glad that you got to um a better place um Hmm. And thank you so much for kind of sharing all of your experience. I think it's been really, really interesting to talk to you about how kind of things changed, but also like things kind of, I guess, stayed the same, maybe at the same Mm. time. What you've been wanting to ask. I've got some questions from the listeners. Um, So the first question um, I think is kind of somebody looking for advice. So, well, yes, because in the question it says advice, Hannah. <laughs> so, what would your advice be um, for going to the doctor if you don't feel like you look like you have an eating disorder? I think
1: if you're comfortable having something, having someone to come in with you, I think that might that might be a a, a kind of idea because if for instance, I really underplayed how significant my problems were. So if someone actually sees the problems probably much more than yourself, you can bring them, you know, with the GP with you and they can kind of explain things for you perhaps. But you can also prepare some points, whether maybe some bullet points that you want to say, because it's hard going to the GP for anything. If I go for a cough, or a cold I suddenly I'm like panicking and shaking so like you're suddenly fine yeah and and I'm like oh I I, I don't know (laughs) um so like writing down I think your experiences maybe some key changes and you can either say that or maybe hand it to the GP I know I mean different places might do different things but I know Beats um have different resources on their website where you can actually print off um a form to hand over to the GP where you can like tick certain things and write certain things on there um so that might be something like a practical way of um kind of communicating those issues where you can write it in a time where you're more relaxed and you might remember a few more details that might be helpful in getting a diagnosis perhaps um and kind of those little things I make I think make make quite a difference when you're going somewhere like that that's quite stressful
0: yeah, I think um, we've mentioned the, that beat form quite a lot on the podcast because I think it's such an invaluable resource, especially mm. if you go to the doctor and you're met with that sort of, well, oh, you don't look like one eating disorder. I think that would be enough kind of to throw people off and to be like, yeah. Oh my God, well now I can't remember anything. Like why am I even here? Because yeah, I, I don't look like it. So, you know, um, so I think yeah. being able to remember kind of why you came definitely really good advice. Um, and then the second question was, um, did you experience separation of emotions because of the abuse and how did that play into the eating disorder? <sighs>
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think, I'm not sure if there was almost a separation of emotions because I think it, I don't know whether it was all the relationship or all the eating disorder or bits of both that it just consumed my entire life at that point, I think. Um, Because if I, for instance, if I was exercising for not one reason it would be the other one. And I think it was so hard to separate one from the other at that point. I think, I think there, there was really a time, really a time that um I didn't feel bad about life. <laughs> um so yeah, I think yeah it's re- it was really hard to just kind of separate the emotions from from the eating disorder as well I think it, it all fed into each other it was really hard I think to kind of separate to be honest
0: yeah and I think kind of what it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier in that you kind of had it in your head but then also it was kind of in real life not to say that it in your head is in real life but sort of like yeah someone actually there doing it as well so I can imagine you had it from all angles
1: yeah, and that's the thing about um, kind of external voices. I, I can't remember who said it, but I don't know if it was a quote about something, but it said all internal voices were external at one point. And I thought that was really interesting because like self es- low self-esteem, it doesn't just, you know, happen. It might be something really, you know, insignificant that happened when you were younger, but it it, it sticks with you. And I think that was what was happening with that eating disorder where I had I had low self-esteem anyway and then I had this external actual person telling me I wasn't good enough which then became the internal even even you know now I like if if I'm having a like kind of a bad day or if I'm like triggered by a like something that's that's still in there you know 10 years on so it's it's that external voice and the internal voice and the external that becomes the internal. Mm. And you, you can't, you can't switch the internal off really. Um, So yeah, it was, it was definitely a mixture of, you know, the power that a comment, a passing comment will have on you. You know, it's, it's really, it really is powerful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Zoe. It's been a long time coming, but it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure to speak to you. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing your experience.
1: That's no problem. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been it's been really useful, really good. Perfect.
0: If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support, or talk to someone you trust.